1: Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month, or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works, so if you... Have a second, please leave a rating and/or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash chase thomas writer or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too thank you for listening you're all the best and i think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle darren can play me in all right let's go chase thomas Podcast, the chase thomas podcast Um, my nephew needs me to record see i
0: hate i already hate it i hate
1: it all right welcome back to the chase thomas podcast Recording this on a Monday evening and on the line right now. Yovan Bua of the Athletic and Yovan, you bought into my Montrezl Harrell should actually start at the five for the Los Angeles Clippers stuff. I'm I'm proud of you. You're with me now. It's official. It's on the website. It's on the dot com, the Los Angeles version of the site. Um, you wrote the piece that he should start over Marcin Gortat. Um, we've reached that point in the off season where uh, we have to open this, where with a discussion on Montrezl Harrell starting over Gortat. That that's where we were at.
0: Yeah. Um, when the Clippers made the the Austin Rivers for Gortat trade, uh, you know, right before free agency started. Um, I I dropped like a line in that piece about it of I I thought that it might make more sense to start Trez over Gortat because I I think people haven't really I mean maybe Wizards fans noticed but uh, it was not a big you know topic of conversation for for, uh, most of the basketball media like Gortat was kind of secretly not that good last year and he kind of dropped off um, just kind of across the board statistically it was like his worst season in in seven or eight years. And it kind of makes sense because he's 34 uh, going to be 35. So um, I I just, you know, I think looking at it from that perspective, like uh, I do think he, as I mentioned, like in the piece, I I do think he has uh, a bit of an ego. It it seems like from, you know, just completely from an outside perspective. And it just seems like everything that's happened in Washington, he does come off as like a very proud player. And I don't think, you would necessarily take to be
1: fair is there a professional athlete that doesn't have an ego
0: no What's no no deal? i think i i think it's part of it but the, you know the, there's egos and then there's egos right so i think he, he's someone yeah. who outwardly expresses that and you know there mm-hmm. there you have to have an ego to to be a professional athlete to, to some extent but um i do think there's obviously people who have bigger egos people who will be Uh, vocal in the media kind of expressing their displeasure with coming off the bench or having a reduced role. He strikes me as someone who would, who would potentially do that. So, um, especially because Trez is, you know, I still think Trez is is probably a little underrated, um, and, and, you know, across the league as someone who, you know, he's only played three years. So I still feel like they're, you know, the kind of jury's still out on him a little bit, um but the clippers left him
1: out right like when you're talking I think when we were talking a couple of weeks ago he hadn't been signed yet he was still sitting out there as an RFA and yeah. he came back so it wasn't even a guarantee that he'd be back and now we're talking about him as a starting five but um it it is interesting that he kind of got the underrated version of what happened to Clint Capella, where it was like oh we like you but you're a restricted free agent and we're going to see what other teams value us and um it it's fine but uh he did not get a clint Capel like uh <laughs> pay bump which of course that was not going to be a thing and that's not what should have happened but at the same time he was just dangling out there and now um he's back and gortat was that big piece of that austin rivers trade so um it's an interesting dynamic and i didn't even really think about like gortat at almost age 35 actually being really apprehensive about uh, moving to a bench role or at the very least getting this Azza Pachulia treatment where it's like, okay, you'll start the game and then we'll never see you again.
0: Yeah. And, and that's pure speculation on my end. That's not, you know, something I've I've heard or confirmed. I also mentioned that, um, you know, Trez, it, it could be just a situation uh, similar to like Lou Williams or, or Jamal Crawford where Trez could just simply, uh, you know, prefer to come off the bench. Uh, you know, he's 24. So I don't know if that's the case. Like, uh, you know, seems so like all he
1: preferred it back when you've talked to them. they like, they're yeah.
0: Yeah. Like Lou, Lou, William, Lou Williams and, and Jamal Crawford have, have openly admitted that they kind of prefer that six man role. Interesting. Um, How come? You know, I think it's just, it's just a comfort thing. I, I think for, you know, I, I think Jamal, especially like he kind of wants to run the show and he's, you know, mm-hmm. as, for, as, for as good as he is, Um, you know, especially with like the Clippers, for example, like he, you know, he was not going to run the show with with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin out there. So I think, um, you know, he would get his 15 to 20 minutes, uh, you know, kind of with the second unit and being the man. And then he'd get, you know, his other, like, you know, five to 10 minutes, uh, depending on how much he's playing that night, uh, with, with the starters and maybe closing a game or something. And then he's kind of the, the, the closer in that scenario. But, um, yeah, I, that's I think that's interesting. But I, it makes sense. Yeah, so I, I think with Trez, maybe maybe it's that. But again, he, he's twenty four. He's he, you know heading into year four. I don't really see um, you know why he would uh, you know why he would prefer that. So to me, I, I just think if you look at it, like the 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 only advantage Gortat has over over Trez is you know he, he's just a bigger player and, and he's more experienced. But um, you know he, he's a slightly better rebounder. But really, besides that, across the board, like Trez is is better scorer. Um, you know, passer, defensive, defensive numbers are better. Uh, he, he's just more efficient, better, better at finishing on the rim. Um, and, and, you know, just, you know, true shooting percentage, uh, you know, basically advanced stats, like everything you want to look at, like Trez um, was the better player last year and, and it's probably been the better player arguably for the past two years. So I, I think that, you know, to me, uh, if you're the Clippers, you, it's already going to be an uphill battle making the playoffs anyway, you kinda of gotta put your best foot forward and, and start Trez. Um I, I guess the the, co- like the, the compromise Tres. the compromise I think will be the Zaza role. I do expect Gortat to start. And I, I but I could see it being like a sixteen to twenty minute a night role where he pretty much only plays with the starters, you know, the first like six to eight minutes of uh, of the or you know, first and third and then some games he closes right. if it's like a Joel Embiid or someone who who deserved because I think that, that the one thing you could say about Trez is like I don't think he's built you know he's he like he's let's say like six nine but he's probably closer to six eight um, he, he's very athletic and, and springy but you know he is kind of a Kenneth Freed type I, I think he probably will be better than Kenneth Freed was at, at his peak but um, mm-hmm. I, you know there is the same limitations where if he's going up against say Joel Embiid. Or someone of that, you know, stature. I think that there's going to be some issues for him defensively. But for the most part, I think he can hold his own against against most fives, and especially in the modern era with the way guys are playing and popping out and stuff. Like I think he's way more suited for that than Gortat is. So um, I think he's their best option. I expect him to be closing games most of the time, regardless of whether he starts or comes off the bench. But uh, I do think the compromise logically is probably like. Gortat starts, keeps his ego in check. You know, he's only going to be on the Clippers for one more year. So, you know, 18, 20 minutes a night. Chars is playing the other, you know, 28 minutes or whatever. And then he's closing games. So I, I see that as maybe like that that compromise for both guys.
1: Yeah, and I think it'll be fun either way. And I, I'm just really fascinated. I like seeing guys like that where it's like they've been in the league for a couple of years now. They're starting to figure things out. This is team number two for him. He was included in that a uh, gigantic deal for Chris Paul and everything, and he was kind of a throw-in, but he's, like, with Sam Decker now gone, it seems like he's going to be, like, one of the last guys around from that um, in a major way, but I, I just, I want to see him thrive, and I want to see him get a real shot at everything, but I do wonder, like, when you brought up the Freed stuff, like, the Clippers, I think, had the 20th uh defensive rating in the NBA last year. So I wonder who is the better option to help in that regard. If it is Gortat at this stage in his career, because he really wasn't that great defensively in Washington last year. And I mean, I know he has the Polish hammer nickname, but I don't think that's uh, a thing anymore at his age, but um, I I don't really know who's the better fit and who doc will be more comfortable with um, being their rim protector at the five, because it's not like they have a bunch of options. I mean, they have Aminu back who. They pried away from Houston, who I think should be really good for them. But uh, I, I don't really know how that's going to work. How I mean, losing DeAndre Jordan's going to hurt in that regard, where it's like they already struggled um, in that department last year, and I wonder uh, how they fill that void. How do you
0: think they fill it? Well, you, to be clear, you mean Luke Richard and Valmute, not uh, Alfred Camino. Yes. Oh. Yeah
1: yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I don't know who I will, they'd rather so have. I, have I will... I, that, that, that could be I will... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm going to strike that from the podcast. Okay. And, uh, I'm going to figure out a way to integrate the actual um, name that I meant to say there. So, that's fine. That's what I meant. Um, Luke Richard Bamute. So, anyway, Alfred Camino and Lucas Arbamute, Bamute, not the same person. And uh, that was just a, that's a fun thing. So, anyway, um, that's who I meant. And that's who they got. And that's who... Um, it's going to help them in the whole defensive issues that they had last year, but losing DJ and replacing him with Harrell and Gotte when you already had just an anemic front court defensive rotation, I, I just wonder if it gets worse or how Doc goes about fixing that.
0: Yeah, so I I think they're they're definitely. I mean, look, they're, I think the the Clippers are projected by Vegas to be the 11th seed for a reason, right? Like, uh, I think this team they're they're really fascinating because. Um, they do kind of remind me of the Denver Nuggets from a couple of years ago, um, which ironically were led by Danilo Gallinari. Um, you know, that kind of team from a couple years ago where like they were always, uh, or, or the kind of the last few years of the Nuggets maybe taking away like last year where they're always kind of in that like 40 to 45 win range on the, on the playoff fringes. Um, and they're just kind of this collection of a bunch of role players that sometimes played, greater than the sum of their parts but for the most part like they clearly needed um a a star and and they kind of lost that after andre godala left um and you could kind of debate on whether he was actually a star or not but uh either way like that that's how in the
1: african game yeah this past week
0: (laughs) so so that's that's what this team reminds me of and i I think to your point like that you know looking at the numbers and and there is always a lot of noise in, in this kind of on off stuff but the Clippers are actually better defensively with, um, Montrezl Harrell on the floor than, than DeAndre Jordan. Uh, and you know, several people I've talked to are, around the team actually think that the team was better with Trez on the court than DeAndre and the numbers really bear that out and then kind of support that. So, um, really the only thing that dipped with, with Trez in and in, instead of DJ was, was rebounding. And that's just because DJ is such a, you know, he's arguably the best defensive rebounder in, in the league. So, um, I think, like from from that perspective, that also is another plus for me for for starting is just uh, I look at the you know if you look at uh, I wrote like there's probably four starting locks which are uh, you know Gallinari, Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, and Pat Beverly, and that is like a weird kind of collection of defenders because. Avery Bradley and, and Patrick Beverly are really good defenders, but they're also pretty small. Like you know, Pat Beverly's like six six one, Avery Bradley's like six three, maybe six four. So you have two very pesky good on ball defenders, but they're also very undersized for their position. Then in the front court, you have the exact opposite, where you have two bigger guys. You know, like Tobias is like six nine, six ten, Gallinari kind of similar size, but they're a little slower. So to me, I think like adding a guy like Gortat. I don't know if, if, if you know, he, he does have the size and the length, but I, I don't know if that necessarily is going to help with um, you know, some of the issues that the rest of the starters are gonna present defensively. I think someone like Trez who's a little more mobile and athletic, kinda of makes a little more sense because I feel like this starting lineup is gonna to have to switch a lot defensively. Um, you know, the, the, it, there's gonna be there's always gonna be some type of weakness where some you know, Galinari's guarding uh someone that's you know, much faster than him or or Avery Bradley's guarding, you know six seven guy and it's just like you're gonna have to switch and and, and kind of uh come up with different stuff defensively to to kind of limit those those weaknesses so to me i think trez kind of fits with with more of how i envision that starting lineup playing defensively uh so so again to me like he just makes more sense
1: and what's interesting too about gallinari and I was being 100% serious, so if you have been living under a rock or have not been paying attention to the NBA for the past couple weeks because it is the only dead month of the year, um, Gallinari balled out in the NBA-Africa game, and uh, he was named MVP, so good news for Clippers fans who are worried about making the playoffs this year. Gallinari's healthy and coming, but I think we want to see him at the four a lot more, but I don't see how that's an option on this team the way it's currently constructed because you brought in Mike Scott, who was really good for the wizards last year. It was just something you had to watch them and look at the numbers to see just how important he was to that bench unit. And then you have Tobias Harris who can basically only play the four (laughs) and um, Luke Richard Bamute, another guy who it, he can go either way three or four, but like you're getting really into the weeds here where it's like, you don't have much on the wing outside now that you moved Austin rivers. And now that you just the way this roster with four point guards basically and everything else like isn't Galen going to basically almost have to exclusively play at the play the three just because of the way this roster has been reshaped this offseason.
0: So it, it's interesting you say that I, I've gone back and forth on that, and I actually suspect I think Tobias is going to be the three um, because I I just think that Gallo now look, he, he looked better in that game, but I, I don't want to overreact to a glorified exhibition game. Like, yes, there was legitimate NBA players in that game. And yes, like it yeah, did when seem... it's
1: August, we need to overreact. We have to sell this podcast. <laughs> it it, it this did episode. seem more competitive
0: yeah. than, than an all-star game. I'll, I'll give them that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that, uh, again, not a lot of people talked about last year, uh, cause you know, the Clippers weren't really talked about that much outside of like the Blake Griffin trade and the whole locker room. Um, you know, saga with the Rockets, uh, Daniel Gallinari was kind of sneaky bad last year. Um, you know, he he still put up 15 points a game and, and you know, if you're just kind of glancing at his, his average counting stats, like, like, ah, that was, you know, decent season, kind of, uh, maybe a little bit worse than what he did in Denver, but like he was, you know, he was very inefficient. I think he shot like 41%. Uh, he just did, he was very slow. He, you know, there, there was times where he, like, it was like, he can barely dunk and, you know, he's never been the most athletic guy, but he is 6'10", and, he, you know, he has largely played on the wing for, for most of his career. So, like, you know, there, there was just some basic and, – and he was obviously injured and kind of dealing with that for most of the season, but he just did not look like, you know, it was a combination of looking out of shape and and really um, riddled by, by his injuries. And, uh, you know, this is someone that's pretty much been injured every year for the past, like, five, six years uh, you know, he's now, what, I think 29, 30, you know, starting to catch up with him. Um, I I'm a little worried with, with him kind of long-term making it through the season. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason to, to have any confidence that he's going to, you know, play more than 60 games, at, at like a maximum. So I think that, uh, you know, between him and Tobias, I do think Tobias really should be a four, but if you're going to have to put someone on threes, I, I think it's going to have to be Tobias um, I know he's lost a little bit of weight this season. I think he, uh, you know, this off season, I think he's going to kind of know he's probably going to be playing more in the perimeter than he has in you know, the recent past. So I actually suspect that Tobias is going to be the nominal three between the two. Um, and you know, he's, he's going to be the guy that's going to have to check the the Paul Georges, the LeBron James, the the Kevin Durant. Uh, it's not Danilo because he can't well, do it. be
1: fun for him. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, so I, I expect... That's going to go great. Tobias well, Harris on all those guys? It's well, be what, great. I, what
0: I actually threw out, um, and, and this kind of goes back to the, the Gortat thing, is I actually suggested that I think Luke should potentially start over Danilo. And I think it makes a little more Ooh. sense okay. having, yeah. um, having Tobias and, and Luke be the, the two starting forwards because
1: because and tobias are a little redundant I, yeah I they're, they're very idea. similar
0: players um and, and they're you know they're basically you know fours that have been miscast as threes for most of their career and they, they kind mm-hmm. of have similar games offensively similar defensive limitations uh and I, I just think that you know putting someone like luke in there who's a you know low usage player good spot up shooter and you know probably the best defender on the team especially at least you know a like wing size um, you know I think it just makes a lot of sense and uh, I think you look at what he did for Houston last year um, I you know I really think like he was their best perimeter defender uh, more so than Trevor Reza or PJ Tucker and you you really saw his absence uh, you know once he went down and he never was, was the same once he came back so um, you know I think that's something that also is not like I wonder
1: if it was his if, shoulder right have you yeah, seen him since I've He's not been in is his shoulder healed? Uh, I think it's, it's supposed to be healed by the start of training camp. Uh,
0: the, you know, I think there might be a chance that he kind of takes it slow starting the season. but uh, So then uh, that
1: may be why he doesn't start right away. They that that could be an, it. That an, could be Gallinari, it.
0: And uh, it. tobias thing, yeah. It could simply be that. But, uh, you know, it, it's looking like uh, what I guess the rotation looks like right now would, would probably be Gortat, uh, Gallinari-Tobias, Avery-Bradley, and um, Pat Beverly, and then off the bench – uh, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, Milos Teodosic, Luke, and uh, Mike Scott. Like, th- that's kind of their 10 man rotation. Um, I think it's no at some- Jonathan Motley. No, oh, <laughs> uh, maybe, I mean, maybe. <laughs> look, maybe, maybe because again, as, yeah. as you said, they're, they're kind of light on threes because Luke is probably more of a yeah. four nowadays. Uh, and the other options are uh, Wes Johnson, Darius Thornwell. Like, it, it, this team is kind of you know, the three is probably their
1: weakest, Darius Thornwell. Ball. Jerome Robinson. I think Jerome's uh, actually going to play some
0: three. Um, I, I think. Okay. Well, the doc likes going with the three guard lineups uh, off the bench, so it would not surprise me if Jerome. I, I think uh, Shea Gildress Alexander is actually going to, um, you know, find his way into the rotation at some point. Whether so it's in like the the Rondo thing with yeah. Rondo, Marcus Smart, and
1: uh, who was the other uh, Avery Bradley? Yeah, when they were doing that in Boston like three years ago, three or uh, year, four years ago. How long has it been since he was running that out? Nice uh, I think I
0: guess five or one. Yeah.
1: Has it really been that long? Rondo, I guess so, because we I mean, he's on the Mavericks. Right? After, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Crazy how time flies. But um, so that could be fun. Uh, so last thing on the Clippers, and then we'll move on. But uh, it sounds like if Luke can get healthy, and he's a better fit with one of the two between Tobias and uh, Danilo, it sounds like one of them's getting traded. Who would you expect more likely to get traded before the deadline this year? Danilo or Tobias? it feels like Gallinari now Sell high before another injury. Yeah. It really be a lot more fun on a contender. I don't know who the right team is off the top of my head, but I do think he's someone like, cause Tobias can be good. For, I feel like for a long time, but um, Gallinari is just like a ticking time bomb. If he's playing really well, he's healthy, everything else just sell high.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's kind of the, I, I would say I would suspect they're like, look, uh, put it this way. They just offered Tobias a four-year, eighty million dollar extension. Um, yeah, they they did trade Blake after giving him, you know, I was gonna a, say a they the did contract something very
1: similar to. So the extreme degree uh, yeah. with Blake, but yeah, I'm not going
0: to say that that means you know Tobias is going to be there long term. But in in signing him to that type of contract, I mean, look, you you could argue that could be you know a slight overpay. Uh, you know, like you could maybe make a case Tobias probably deserves more in like the fifteen to seventeen million range based on what he's shown so far in his career. So like, I think 20 million is, it was actually a bit of an aggressive offer. Uh, but I think that shows that the confidence Clippers have in him, because, you know, if you sign him to that and, and he doesn't play as well, or teams don't want him at that number, like you're, you're kind of compromising your cap space for next summer. So I think the fact that they were willing to offer him that really shows the confidence they have in him uh, to me, it's clearly like, you know, Gallo was a much worse player last season than Tobias and, and, I think that that contract looks really bad. Like, you know, I, I think the Clippers front office has done an amazing job since bringing in Jerry West to kind of, uh, you know, restructuring the, the front office and taking Doc's duties away and stuff. Like, I think they, they're really batting close to, uh, you know, a thousand. The the one, you know, glaring mistake I think they made was, was that Danilo Gallinari contract, because if they did not sign Danilo to that deal and they had just, um, you know, Maybe sign a couple one-year deals for, for his money. Like they would be in an amazing yeah. spot. They would have had so much more cap space this summer uh, to really aggressively, you know, potentially go after two guys, um, and then next summer they'd have like close to like ninety million in cap space, which would be ridiculous. So uh, they really screwed up with that Danilo contract, uh, and it really I mean, didn't make sense only at the time.
1: Year after this year,
0: it didn't make sense I at mean, the time at too because not like he, him and Blake and DJ never made sense of the front court. Like you know, it was it was. Uh, just you know danilo the four now and and putting him next to blake I, I just didn't really like it from the beginning but i do think they're going to try and move danilo it just might be a, a you know type of situation where they have to attach assets to it um so you know maybe one to have the trade for you may, maybe they include you know jerome robinson or maybe a future pick or something uh, i don't think they trade shea i think he's probably the only untouchable asset right now but um yeah so what's your trade
1: so my dark horse Eastern Conference Finals actually NBA Finals contender the Milwaukee Bucks. They need shooting. I do think Giannis is gearing up for an MVP year like he's my MVP pick right now. Um, they got to get off Bledsoe. Last year $15 million. They have John Henson who's been rumored to be traded since 2001 from the Bucks. You do that. You do Gallinari for Bledsoe and uh, John Henson
0: sign me up uh, i would do that
1: um and then yeah, i mean they the amount of money they're going to have available next year the clippers um because tobias harris last year of his deal quartot off the books after this year um is the avery bradley contract the player option or team option after this year
0: uh it is a team option
1: okay so they could potentially decline that he's gone lou williams making no money this year basically for them an absolute bargain yeah. no bond, seven million off the books Milos, off the books. Wesley Johnson, off the books. Pat Bev, off the books. It's just, they can remake their entire team next year.
0: Which is what I expect. That's why gonna, I think they're I trading somebody. They're trading yeah. somebody.
1: Yeah. I, I, say, is out. I think the, we just determined it. Yeah.
0: The, the one thing, though, I, I would say keep an eye on, too, um, with Tobias is because he is expiring, I, I think for them, if they get the sense that he's gone... It would not surprise me if they moved him, um, you know, around the trade deadline just because they don't want to lose him for nothing next summer, you know. And now maybe they just want the cap space and that's that. But like, I think if there is a way to, you know, send him to a, a playoff hopeful, probably in the East, because you know, the, I mean, maybe West too, but you know, for some type of young player, like assets or something, I, I could maybe. That's like the only way I see Tobias getting moved, but. Uh, you know, I, I think he's going to have a huge season um, and I, I think they have every intention of, of trying to keep him next summer. So I really don't see them moving him. I, I see it most likely being Deniro. What do you think
1: of Sam Decker in Cleveland?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I don't have any thoughts on it. I, I think Sam Decker, um, that was the, you know, when I saw the Chris Paul trade go down, obviously I was like, you know, Pat Beverly is a, is a you know, nice, solid player. Trez, i i liked as kind of an off the bench scorer but sam was the one guy that i was like you know i liked what he showed in houston um i, I thought you know with, with his combination of, of size and athleticism on the wing uh his ability to shoot the ball uh and, and kind of you know sometimes put the ball on the floor and make plays or at least get to the basket i was like this guy you know there, there's something there and for whatever reason uh, you know, maybe he was, he was a little banged up last year. Maybe, you know, Doc never really, uh, you know, gave him some confidence and, and kind of trusted him. But he was terrible last year. He did not look like an NBA player. Uh, it was really, you know, it was just kind of concerning to see. Like, what, I don't know what his NBA skill is uh, at this point. So, um, I, you know, I wish him the best. He's very <laughs> tall <for> his, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, position. Like, I think he shot 16% on threes last season. Like, that is, like... He that can't can't be is be like healthy, worse right? Than, that's got
1: to be what it is there's that's something wrong like worse than
0: rondo yeah. you know like that's 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 just horrible and um like that's like just like center taking threes which you know uh, maybe I'm teasing something we're we'll going to talk about later in this podcast but uh yeah. um
1: next up it's on the list let's do a true and true or false Andre Drummond shoots better from 3 than Sam Decker in 2018 2019
0: I'll say false uh i, I think okay. Sam <laughs> I think, like, Cleveland does not have a lot there, so I could see a scenario in which he ends up getting some rotation minutes and, you know, if they're, they're training for him, like, might as well test him out a little bit. Um, I think he has a bounce back here. It he feels hopefully.
1: like a guy that's out of the league after this year and he goes overseas it could be. and then, like, we see him resurface at, like, age 32 on some team as a sharpshooter. On that, contender that or something.
0: That wouldn't surprise me. Um, like, the, the, I mean, that's how bad he was this season, but uh
1: yeah because he was gonna get cut right that was like the sneaky little fact in the trade is that like he was not gonna make the 15-man roster and that this was a way out for him to avoid getting cut
0: yeah yeah so i mean the, the clippers ended up you know that they, they've <laughs> they even now they felt to the cut one more person who i, I think going to be juan evans but um they uh yeah they they you know had 19 guys uh, you know uh, a couple weeks ago, so they, they've been having to dwindle down the roster. Um, you know they, they cut C.J. Williams. Um, it doesn't look like they're bringing back Ty Wallace. Um, they uh, you know they just traded Sam, and then they're gonna have to cut Juwan. So uh, they, they've had to do some some roster cuts, and um, you know Sam just kind of made more sense. But I, I did think that a, a trade for him would you know he at least had some trade value as a, as a former top 20 pick. Um, you know just from three years ago, so. Uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I mean, I wish him the best. Like, uh, I think he has the the physical tools and he's at least shown flashes in Houston that he could be a, uh, you know, a productive rotation player. So, you know, hopefully this last year was just a, you know, just an odd year and then he bounces back, but, uh, really did not look good. And if he kind of has a repeat performance, I think he, he will indeed be out of the league next summer.
1: You know what's interesting, though, as I was doing some background on that and the Cavs roster, and I don't even know if he'll play. Like, I'm still pretty dubious about that. But this roster is uh, a little anemic now with LeBron not being on this team anymore. But Colin Sexton's in the top five in Vegas, rookie of the year odds. And Jovan, I think this is the time for you and I to discuss buying in on Con Sexton as Rookie of the Year because I was thinking more about it because I, I scoffed at it when I first saw it and I was like, I'm I'm just not a Sexton person. I'm not thrilled with this jumper, this, that, and the other, but it's like there's something about like Rookie of the Year and a player like Sexton where he's going to be a great story. Like there's going to be a real positive narrative. It's like he's the new playmaker with LeBron gone. He's going to be the primary playmaker on this team. He's going to have to do a lot. The team's going to be bad. He'll still have Kevin Love ostensibly for um, at least half the season. It doesn't look like they're going to move him um, anytime soon. So if they keep Love, they keep Corver, they keep a lot of the guys on this roster, Tristan Thompson, everybody else, like he has the pieces around him to actually put up a lot of points. And like him doing like 18 and eight or something like that is not insane. If they're pushing for like the ninth or 10th seed, like, right around where the Pistons and everybody else are in the bottom of the East. Like I, I I could see it. Like I think it's still gonna be Doncic, but like it would not surprise me at all if he's like right there with Aiden and Doncic as uh rookie of the year. Like I I don't know if any of us are prepared for this, but I, I think I'm actually buying into Colin Sexton as Rookie of the Year. it's it would not it would not floor me based on like just a broad look at all the rookies in this year's class and just where they're playing and who they're gonna be playing with. Doncic is still in the best position to thrive right away, but like it would not surprise me if Sexton has like this media darling situation. Like we saw how he defended who was it in Summer League where he was doing like the um the the, the I don't even know what to call it, where he's just like guarding um was it it wasn't Trey Young. Who was it?
0: Where he was well, like was You know it, what I'm you, talking
1: you, about where he got in the stance.
0: Was you he playing the Lakers?
1: Maybe was it the Lakers? Uh, I'm
0: gonna. i I'm you know
1: gonna, what I'm talking about with the shoulder yeah. movements and everything else? Like he's, he, I mean, I have always been a fan just based on his Penny Hardaway stuff from like four years ago. Those videos were just incredible. Um, but yeah, like, am I crazy for talking myself into concepts Sexton and his rookie of
0: the year? I don't, I don't think so. I think the biggest thing, you know, the biggest two things in his favor you, you touched on is is you know he has the narrative in his favor. Um, and I think he, he has the opportunity and, you know, those, those two things that I think are really the, the driving forces often, you know, behind rookie of the year and really all, you know, almost any award, but especially rookie of the year, because, um, you know, these guys have to, you know, a, a lot of rookies, um, don't necessarily walk into a, a starting role or a rotation role. Like someone, like I actually, you know, and it could be a little bias here, but from watching him so closely, it's, i really like. I think Shea Gilders Alexander could could be uh, like I think if you put him on Cleveland instead of Colin Sexton and you know he traded them, yeah. Uh, I think he would have you know he might be the, the rookie to your favorite or in that conversation. Like he he looked that good to me. So uh, I think I, I think you're right. I mean I I would be sh- I'll say I'll be shocked if he averaged eighteen and eight. I, I think that could be a little ambitious for him, but I, I do think he'll be in that mix. Uh, I think for me i and it goes it's kind of counterintuitive because it usually goes to primitive players i would uh, for me ayton is is still probably my rookie of the year favorite um i, I just just because i think he's the guy that i like I, i'm fairly confident ayton's gonna average like 15 to 16 points and like eight to nine rebounds and i think once you you know if you get in that like sixteen points, nine rebounds, a block and a half, like, you know, fifty five percent shooting range. Like I think you're talking about a, a pretty productive player. Um and and I could see Ayton just you know, I, I you know now it's him and Tyson Chandler, and, and Tyson Chandler is is what like thirty five now, something like that. Like I, I just his think,
1: body's seventy three because he's been playing since he was eighteen. He came in the league, so he's almost a twenty year veteran at this point.
0: Yeah, like I I, I exactly like so like I, I just think Aiton's walking into thirty minutes a night. Uh, he, he's gonna you know it, like I it's not I'm just looking at his opportunity too. I'm like Marquise Chris is not taking away minutes or rebounds from him. Like Dragon he might not Bender. Have been Dragon yeah. Bender is not taking away minutes or like, I think he's just going to, he's going to have like, we're not surprising if He'll he has like two or three agree, yeah. 20, 20 games. Like he's, he's no, there's no one stealing rebounds from him. There's no one like stealing playing time from him. I think he, he's going to be from day one, just like a beast. Uh, Luca, I, I, where I get a little tricky with Luca is, you know, it's just Rick Carlisle. And I know like, but he's going to start. No, he's, like, he's going to start, but I, I just also see like, if he struggles at all, it would not, you know, like Rick Carlisle is going to go, he's going to close games with his best five players. And if Luca is not performing at that level or, you know, someone else is playing better, uh, you know, Luca will not close games. And, and that's kind of been Rick. Now, maybe Luca is such a, you know, Luca really is the, the, the next franchise player. And, you know, maybe there's a uh, you know something from Cuban where he's like, you know, no matter what, we're playing this guy thirty to thirty three minutes a night, and he's closing games, and he's our he's our star and whatever. But you know, I, you kind of saw it sometimes with Dennis Smith, like Rick Carl. Rick Carl does not have the longest leash with players, especially young playmakers. Yeah, and um, I I just you know. I, I would also, you know, I could see it potentially not going as, as glamorous as everyone thinks it's going to. I'm already go. upset
1: at Yogi Ferrell closing games over uh Luka Doncic in <laughs> December. I'm already upset about it.
0: And uh yeah, I mean you you don't like you, you know, that Dallas is Dallas is a weird team they and they they're the 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 They're going to be a of,
1: playoff team by the way.
0: You think if so? They're not
1: a playoff team. They're like a nine seed or ten seed. Like this team is just built to like. They have already given up on the whole rebuild for years on end. Like they're back. Like they tra- they acquired DeAndre Jordan. They still have Dirk back. They ha- they have not traded Harrison Barnes. They have not traded Wesley Matthews. They have year two of Dennis Smith, who's mm-hmm. going to be the primary ball handler. So uh, like, Doncic will not have to do everything right away. Like you, ha- I mean, there's just I-, I just feel like this team has. Yeah. Is- the right mixture of vets and young guys where I, I don't think they're going to be bad. And Rick Carlisle's too good of a coach for them to like not be at minimum, like a couple of games under over 500. Maybe they are not a playoff team, but I think they're like worst case, like nine or 10 in the West.
0: So, so but I just, well, yeah. I was going to say, I'm actually, uh, I'm much lower on them than you are. Uh, I think okay. for me, I kind of see them around like the 35 one range. Uh, I have I, I I like their starting lineup. So their starting lineup it looks like it's going to be, um, you know, uh, I, I guess DJ Harrison Barnes, Luca West, and and DJ, or I mean yeah. De- Dennis Pryor Jr. Um, I guess like I I like that. And then you have Dirk off the bench, and and they they have pieces. I I, I don't love their depth, and I just think, my, I mean, my biggest reason for for having them a little bit lower. is that I just think the West is yeah, surely could
1: be a bloodbath. Like some teams have to fall for them to move up. And I think Portland is a team that I have missing the playoffs. I think they're about to fall off a cliff. Like there's just some, a lot wrong with them. And then CJ getting in a really sad beef with uh Kevin Durant a couple weeks ago. It's just there's something off. Like their off season was terrible, uh getting Nick Stauskas and letting a Davis go and just um, re-signing Yusuf Nurkic, Shabazz Napier's gone, who was really good as a third guard for them. Like, I'm I'm out on them. New Orleans, we don't know. Boogie being gone, like, do they get a good Miritich this year? I could totally see them falling off a cliff. Um, the only sure things are, like, the Spurs, the Thunder, the Warriors, the Rockets, and the Jazz. I feel like that's it. Like, the Timberwolves have all the makings of either really good or just a huge dumpster fire. Like, everything going wrong locker room division all that kind of stuff like that would not surprise me but the clippers ready to implode they won 42 games last year the lakers are gonna rise we know vegas and kevin pelton are very high on what the lakers will do closing in on 50 wins but then you have the nuggets sitting there so i think they'll be around whatever the nuggets the lakers the timberwolves i think the mavericks will be like a couple of games behind them I, I i just they're gonna be around that point but can a rookie of the year, like who was the last rookie of the year on a team as bad as what the Suns are going to be this year? Cause they're probably going to be outside of the Kings, the worst team in the Western conference.
0: Yeah. Uh, ben and, and Simmons, it might be... Brogdon,
1: Towns, Wiggins, Carter Williams. Like none of the, were any of these teams outside of Michael Carter Williams, like the worst in their conference?
0: Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the Timberwolves are pretty bad. Kyrie. Ta- Towns year. Um, I feel
1: like Kyrie were the 2011 Cavs. They had to be like, right. No, oh, Yeah.
0: They they were terrible. That sense. Um, yeah. Ty, Tyreek Evans on the Kings. They're, they're pretty bad. Oh God. But that, I mean, it's now, I mean, now we're going way like, back. It's really hard for back. a
1: big guy to win. It really is. But I guess Deandre kind of fits in that Carl Anthony Towns mold where it's like, he's going to be so incredible offensively where it's just going to be mesmerizing. And he's just going to put up the numbers. Cause you do have to put up a lot of offensive stats to win Rookie of the year, unless you're Michael Carter Williams. And, um, Malcolm Brogdon I guess too in a different kind of way but yeah it should be fun rookie of the year is uh gonna be interesting but either way I'm very excited about watching context and try and figure this all out in Cleveland and hopefully good things happen to Cleveland this year let's let's see how let's I want them to be watchable that's that's really it because I'm a league pass guy and I, I need some good Cleveland watchability and maybe we get Minnesota Kevin Love back which would also be great I hope see so just for yeah. the season.
0: that's what I'm looking forward to
1: um Andre Drummond is shooting threes and he's been boasting about it on Instagram all off season. He's shooting a bunch of corner threes. Uh, I've watched other videos of him like shooting threes off the dribble with a trainer on the top of the key. It's very slow. It's one of those where it looks good in one-on-one uh, drills, but um, obviously not something that you want to see in person. And like, I've been reading different Pistons writers thoughts on this and it's funny to just like, most of them are like, Oh God, no, because his true shooting is going to fall off. And like his best trait is his rebounding. Like he's a rebounding machine. And if you pull him out, especially because he's such a good offensive rebounder, if he's pulled away from the basket like that and shooting corner threes, or he's spotting up from the corner, like Brooke Lopez, does that hurt the <laughs> Pistons? Like, does that even hurt his value too much where it's like you're removing one of the best things about his game? And um, we already know about the weird fit between him and Blake anyway, but I, I just, my early thoughts on this is oh god they still don't know what to do with Andre Drummond where it's like just be DeAndre Jordan and Clint Capella like that's what he needs to be at this point in his career and that's fine because those are really good players and they got paid like do that those are really valuable but like him shooting threes and trying to be Brooke Lopez uh hard pass the best case I've seen is like Aaron Baines and what he did to Joel Embiid in the playoffs this past year where he was shooting like one or two threes a game and um I mean I remember some really bad ones in the playoffs where he like hit the side of the rim and everything else but um the side of the backboard excuse me but yeah I I don't see this going well and it's one of those oh god it's the offseason we need an NBA game where Andre Drummond tries to shoot threes off the dribble to um very poor returns (laughs) and I uh I'm not there. I'm not a fan. I feel like it's just a, a bad use of Andre Drummond.
0: So, <laughs> there, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I I pretty much agree with everything you just said. I, I think for me, the the only two positives I can kind of take away, and it, it's funny that you know the two names you, you brought up. Like for me, I I can I guess the idealized version of Andre Drummond shooting threes is Aaron Baines where it's that type of situation, uh, you know, it's, it's late in the shot clock, you know, like under, you know, seven seconds, five seconds, whatever, and he's near the perimeter, so he decides to, you know, kind of pop out and spot up, and then someone kicks it out to him, and he hits, you know, like a, a three with under five seconds left on, on the shot clock. And it's kind of a in case of emergency type thing, where um, he at least has that ability to do it, and, you know, you don't really want him taking it consistently necessarily, but it's at least better than in the past where maybe he would have, you know, like dove to the rim or, you know, you know maybe someone's trying to drive and he's like, well, shit, I'm out of the three-point line. Let me dive to the rim or, you know, let me screw up this this cut or this whatever. And, and now he's like, all right, let me pop out and I, I can take a three now. That's kind of like the the best case of scenario it's like very low volume. Uh, you know, in case of emergency, uh, I think that kind of makes some sense. Uh, the only other way I think it makes a little bit of sense is, be, <laughs> is ironically, his, his teammate Blake Griffin is kind of the the version of this you don't want to, to happen. Where Blake really shifted his game the last two or three years, became way more premier uh, oriented. He's actually become a you know a decent three point shooter. It's you know he has a respectable shot now. But again, you know part of what made Blake Griffin, this this you know twenty five and, and ten marvel for for you know the kind of the first half to, to three quarters of his career was his ability to punish guys on the block, to drive from the mid post, uh, to drive from the free throw line, and and really kind of bulldoze his way to the rim and, and posterize guys and draw fouls and, and put uh, you know opponents on on their back defensively. Uh, he does not do that as much anymore. Part of that is just aging and in, in his injury history. But I do also think part of that was, you know, just the the attrition of of playing with someone like DeAndre Jordan, who, you know, in theory, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan are not really the best type of fit offensively. And we kind of saw that similarly with with Andre Drummond. I think Andre Drummond needs more of a floor spacing four, which Blake Griffin has kind of become. And then Blake Griffin probably needs more of a a floor spacing five, um, you know, like a Uh, you know, like a Porzingis or something. Now, there are very few of those guys in the league. So, you know, it's it's kind of a... It's hard to find a a perfect uh, complement for Blake. But I do think if Andre can can start to shoot threes, you could see a scenario where they are kind of trading off, um, where, you know, Andre... Even if he's not necessarily shooting a lot of threes, just the threat of him taking an uncontested three, you know, drags out his defender, and then you can let Blake go... Uh, you know, in in the post or mid post or whatever and and kind of do his thing because as it currently constructed, um, you know, if if Blake is trying to do that, if you have Andre on the opposite block or even Andre in kind of the 12 to 15 foot range, no one's really guarding him, you know, from there. So you can help off and and double Blake, uh, you know, help and then kind of recover, whatever. So I think him developing an outside shot will open things up more for Blake and potentially unlock the Blake Griffin that, um you know, we, we would like to see again, I think ideally, but again, there, there are trade-offs either way. So if you are, t- you know, if you're bringing him out, you are taking away his offensive rebounding, which he probably is the best offensive rebounder in, a, in the NBA right now. So uh, I do think there are trade-offs. I, you know, hopefully he does not become Brooke Lopez. That's probably the worst case scenario if you're a Pistons fan, but I do think there are potential benefits uh, if he at least has that threat of shooting threes, you just have to hope that it doesn't become a huge part of his game.
1: Well, the good news is they have a bunch of floor spacers to surround uh, two big guys who can't shoot. Like, uh, let me check my notes here: Reggie Jackson, Will Smith, Stanley Johnson. Yeah, I mean, what could go wrong?
0: Yeah, the the Pistons are not making the playoffs. (laughs) Uh, So. well, maybe. It's, uh, maybe it's they so do. weird.
1: Like, I've gone back and forth on this because it's like, Dwayne Casey, do we really think he's not going to get this team to the playoffs? Like, having two top 20, top 30 players in the East, based on how the East is right now, like, I could see them getting in at, like, 41 and 41. Like, it's going to be a slog. Like, they're not going to be fun. But if he turns Stanley Johnson into, like, just poor man's OG and an Luke Kennard takes another step forward. Um... I I don't know. I mean, I guess I could see it. Like it's fine like if Blake's healthy for a full year and Andre's healthy for a full year and um that's a thing then sure, but like oh my god. I just I still really hate this roster and I just keep waiting for Ed Stefanski and now I believe it's Malik Rose who is the assistant GM. Yeah. Um who is basically being groomed to be their next general manager under this group. So they at least now have a competent front office ostensibly where They are going to move in the right direction and figure things out, but I'm still waiting for them to make like at least one or two moves to fix this because, I mean, I think we're all a little dubious of how this works with Blake and Andre, but um, if you don't even at least surround them with better shooters and playmakers, then I I don't really see how this doesn't end in a train wreck, but um, Dwayne Casey's going to have to work his his magic, and if we know anything about Dwayne Casey offenses, it's that they're very... Thoughtful, forward-thinking, and um, very fun to watch. So I, I don't, I don't know how you can be excited about uh, what he can unlock with Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. I, I
0: don't know. Uh I yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I I can see like they're kind of the de facto eight seed for me. Like to to me the there are six teams I'm fairly confident that are, are locks to make the from in the East, and the you know the no-brainers are obviously the Celtics. The Sixers and the Raptors, and then I think the next tier is probably the Pacers, Bucks, and Wizards, um, in, in some order. Like you, you know, I, I think a lot of people are hiring the Pacers, but I'm, I'm kind of with you where I think the Bucks could have the Bucks. I think could have a monster year where you know they're they're either the four seed or you know if, if the Sixers or Raptors underachieve slightly, potentially even the three seed. Um, I really you know I. I like no one, I think pe- people, I think that the the, it's the perceptions turned on the bucks where like now everyone's kind of recorrecting where it's like, well, we've been overrating the bucks every year for like the last three years. And, you know, we're always high on them. And you look at the, like the preseason expectations and it seems to be a little bit higher. I have them in the finals um, right now, Yovan. <laughs> so, well, I, I'm, I'm, I think now it's, it's gone the opposite way where, you know, everyone is kind of just saying like, you know, they're not that good. And, and this team is overrated and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, Look at the coaches they've had. Like, they, like Giannis has yeah, not had a good coach. They have
1: coach. the best coach Giannis has ever had.
0: Yeah, like... I, Bud I, won know. 60
1: games with Al Horford as his best player. This Bucks team's winning 50-plus. Like, it's happening, and Giannis is going to have an MVP-like season. Brad Stevens was even, like, at the end of that Celtics series, just like, there's nothing we can do, and he's doing stuff like that. Like, what do we even do with this? Like, Giannis, if he takes another level, who's beating him in a seven-game series in the East outside of Kawhi? I have it down to Toronto and Milwaukee
0: as the three Eastern conference finals. Oh, you don't time. Okay. Um, nah. I'm very high on Boston. Uh, my, my hot-ish take, which I think I've actually already said on, on this podcast before, but, uh, I think Boston's going to win 65 games this year. Uh, they would possible. not surprise me if they were the number one seed. And I'm actually a little bit lower on the Raptors than like to me, uh, my top three in the East is, boston philly toronto i think toronto is going to take a slight step back i think Kawhi will eventually get back to the same level or close to it i think he's going to start off the season a little bit slow uh yeah i
1: win comeback player of the year this year would that be the best comeback player of the year of all time Kawhi leonard can he do that because technically he is coming back from an injury like the way that award works because it is a very stupid award I hope he wins it. I think he should. I think we're gonna get comeback player of the year, Kawhi Leonard, and MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's
0: what's happening. The, the, the MVP. It's funny. So, so yes to the Kawhi thing. I, I think it. I mean, he, he's probably should be the favorite. Like, I don't even know who else is. Yeah, I guess Gordon Hayward um, is, is the other one that you know he has. Because the
1: Golden won it this past year, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, we don't really know what that award means. Is it like you came back from an injury or like, Oh, you got traded and you realize your potential. So that makes you come back player of the year. Like in Oladipo's case, like none of it makes sense. There's no real, um, rationale, consistent rationale as to how they, um, do this award voting. But, um, yeah, Kawhi Leonard, I'm starting the campaign right now. Kawhi Leonard for comeback player of the year.
0: I, I, am with you on that. Uh, I think, but, but to, to your I think what what's interesting is like, and I actually felt this way last year, um, but maybe I should I should have thought harder about Harden. I, and no pun intended. Um, I I just thought that Chris Paul would take away from his, his numbers a little bit more. But um, I thought last year was a weird year where like there was no clear MVP like favorite heading into the season because you know I, I, people you know people love to throw out Anthony Davis and Giannis. But, you know, to, to your point, I, I think for Giannis to win MVP, it's going to, they're going to have to be a top four seed and win 50 games, like, or at least like 48, um, where, you know, same thing with Anthony Davis. Like, I don't see a scenario in which he ever, you know, unless that the Pelicans, you know, they got to win 50 games and be like the, the four seed for Anthony Davis to win MVP. I'm not as confident. I'm definitely not as confident in the Pelicans. I'm lukewarm on the Bucks. Like I probably think they're the four seed, though I think the Pacers are also going to be really good and can kind of push them for that. So like that's where my hesitation with Anthony Davis and Giannis comes in. Then looking at the rest of it, it's like James Harden. There could be some voter fatigue, although I guess if yeah
1: he's not winning back to back. Although look, if, 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 I think and, the Rockets are going to lose like 12 more games this year. Like, everyone's going to have so, uh, yeah.
0: so that's the case. I think for for them, you know, if if the Rockets come out and win 60, 62 games. Uh, you know, obviously not the same as, as the 65 they won last year, but close to that or 64 they won. Um, I think Ben Harden kind of that there's the narrative aspect kicking in again of like, Hey, look, James Harden dragged yeah. this team back to 60 wins. Everyone was low on them, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I guess Philly, like, you know, Simmons, we, you rarely see a second year guy getting MVP. It's really Embiid's yeah. team, but then Embiid, like how many minutes is he going to play? How many games is he going to play? We don't know yet. Uh, I actually think the guy that you know should be talked about a little bit more is Kyrie. Um, now they
1: would say Markel faults. <laughs>
0: well, the issue with Kyrie is that you could make a case that he could, you know, directly be the, the Celtics' third or fourth best player next season. And I know that sounds ludicrous, but like well, it Al Hor- on his
1: knee, we don't really know how he's going to come back from that. Yeah, we don't know
0: how he's going to come back. Al Horford was their most important player last year. Uh, Gordon Hayward went healthy is a arguably top 20 guy uh kind of in that mix uh and then jason tatum like we have no idea what type of step he's going to take next season uh you know Jalen brown could also take another big step so like there's a scenario where and i should
1: clarify by the way i admit most improved player not comeback player of the year yeah i was was gonna say well i
0: i was gonna say i was gonna say something but i was like I also think the the player award there might be a comeback player of the year. It could be mistaken. Maybe yeah, um, I meant
1: most improved like NFL has the comeback player of the year, and it's the same thing as the NBA's most improved. Like they mean like they're both as just sorry. I guess
0: most and, like, improved yeah. in, in
1: theory yeah. would Kawhi would be improved a lot if he had an MVP like year based on his year last year he played nine games. So I think it still qualifies.
0: I think it, but I, I do think it, it tends to happen with younger guys and with. I think yeah. he would have to have improved on two seasons ago, not last season. Yeah. Because I think people will just chalk it up as like he was injured last year, he barely played, like um
1: if Fultz plays like sixty games and averages like eighteen and four, does he win it? He might I Fultz, mean everybody's gonna be rooting for Fultz. He might have the narrative where it's like if he if he's even like just a solid rotation guy, six man for them this year, like I, I feel like he's probably the favorite but that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit but then again apparently if you work out with drew hanlon everything's fine everything is good you're going to be a superstar it's all worked out nothing to worry about here he's working with drew hanlon the shots back fault superstar we're here it's fine everything is fine it's amazing that if you work with the shooting coach that suddenly everything is okay like chip england fixes everything in san antonio and now drew hanlon the independent shooting coach is the uh um the matchmaker and the guy who unlocks everything so good news for philly fans
0: well yeah i mean you, you like you look at what happened with Embiid the the shooting you know the steps his shooting is taken you look at jason tatum had a much better you know i think that was kind of one of the knocks on, on tatum heading into the yeah, rookie year shots but... at
1: Hanlon, by the no, way no no i know i know, just think I we know, lose I know. Our i'm saying like... yeah
0: uh, but I, I I think there's some truth to it. I, I'm not going to say like, you know, Mar- I don't think Markel Fultz is going to come out and shoot like 40% on threes next season and be healthy. But I do think it, it you know, Hamlin said, uh, you know, he told Philly.com like, yeah, he, he had a case of the, the yips last year. And it, it was, I feel like that story should have been a little bit bigger than it was. I was kind of surprised. I mean, it was kind of around free agency and the draft and stuff and, it kind of got swept up under all the. We had a LeBron bigger play story this summer, though. And, and, with yeah, Colangelo. So that kind yeah, so of you, you had that. Things. You had the Kawhi story. Like there was some other like massively LeBron. weird. Yeah, so LeBron, like those stories are bigger, but I did think I was like, this guy just said the the number one pick had the yips in, in in his first season, and you know, and you could look into that many ways. Like you know, maybe he didn't come back. You know, he, he kind of waited to come back because because of the yips, or or you know, maybe that's what kind of caused him to go out in the first place. Like the, that was never really clarified and you know, how much mm-hmm. of it was injury versus like mental stuff. But uh, I think it's really fascinating. And uh, I do think folks, I, I don't really know what fair expectations are for him next season, but I, I think a successful season for him would be, you know, rotation minutes and, and being fairly efficient. And like, it's
1: not good for Philly, by the way, yeah. <laughs> because if they, they didn't get Kawhi, They didn't get LeBron. Like, they're banking a lot on Ben Simmons taking another leap and Joel Embiid staying healthy. Like, if Embiid misses a lot of games this year, and I don't want that to happen, I love Joel Embiid, but, like, they have banked so much of their future on to Ben Simmons, who can't shoot, Joel Embiid, who we already know about his injury history, Dario Saric, who played really well for them last year, and just this enigma in Markel Fultz. So it's like, I, I can understand, like, they have a really high ceiling, but their floor is just terrifying and that's why i just can't put them in the conversation like i feel so much more comfortable about the raptors the celtics and um the the bucks right now over the philly like i just can't buy into philly like they're going to be forever for me like a i'll see i'll believe it when i see it situation where it's like if they can keep these guys together and healthy and on the court and mesh well then yeah, I think they'll be really good and really scary and a finals contender for the next couple of years. But like, if these guys, they're even missing one of them. Like, even just one of Simmons and Embiid for a significant amount of time. Like, they're in real trouble. Like, I, I just, I'm not worried about Giannis. I'm not worried about Bud coaching this team. I'm not uh, worried about Kawhi with Nick Nurse and everything else. Like, I think Pelton has them pegged for like the highest win total in the East this year. So, that helps ease my questions around this uh, this roster. But um, Celtics are obviously loaded, but and they have just depth everywhere. So it's like, who is the team that is the most terrifying and most likely to fall off and not make this all work out? It's Philly, and I think that's why they were so interested in getting somebody like LeBron and Kawhi. Is like, they're like, we can't just bank our entire future on Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Markel Fultz. It's just too many question marks. It's good to have like one, but when all three of your cornerstones are gigantic question marks and you're not sure how they're going to be three years from now I, I just if i'm josh harris and brett brown and everybody else i'm a little i'm a little concerned
0: i i agree to to an extent i i think i'm higher on philly than than maybe most are because i believe in like playoff confidence and i i think that for pretty much, you know, mo- most of the the roster, at least most of the ro- you know the rotation part of the roster, that was their first crack at the playoffs, and I think that you know the, the way they lost that Boston series was embarrassing. Um, you know, I really think they sh- you know they should have won that series. The Bucks
1: gave them better series. They, they should have won With that. No series. coach,
0: by the way. <laughs> they, they should have won that series, and I think they could have won that series. And like you know, two of the games came down at the end and the Celtics just out executed them simply because of the brilliance of, of Brad Stevens and Al Horford. And I, I really think that the Sixers, you know, if, if, if they're going to have the, the type of success they're capable of having, then all summer they were, you know, they were cursing the Celtics and, and really uh, just, you know, pissed off and, and fuming about the way their season ended. And I think, you know, sometimes we we've seen it with young teams in, in the past where they get a, a little taste of the playoffs and success. And then they come out the next season and have a much better, more, you know, more focused season. Um, and, and it, you kind of saw that towards the end of it. Remember like Philly went on that massive win streak. I think they, they closed the season on like a 16 or 17 game win streak heading into the playoffs. Um, I think, you know, they can carry some of that momentum. Uh, and I, I actually really like the, the Wilson Chandler signing for them. And I think it kind of got swept under the rug with, you know, a lot of people I'm seeing talking I totally about, about that. like, like yeah, they did lose Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli, but I think Wilson Chandler is a much better player than either one of those. Uh, maybe the combination of the two is about equal to, to getting back Wilson, but uh, I really like Wilson Chandler. I think he gives them like, that's kind of the one thing they, they didn't have. In my opinion was like a wing scorer. Like, you know, JJ is more just like a spot up guy coming off pin downs and stuff. Uh, you know, Sim- Simmons does his thing, but there are limitations with no shooting. And then you have Embiid inside. And there's they a lot of shooting around Embiid and, and Simmons, but they didn't have a guy like Wilson Chandler who could actually put the ball on the floor, attack the rim, get to the free throw line, kind of score from mid-range and stuff. So I really like that signing for, for them and, and think that, you know, he, he's someone that has not played, you know, super competitive basketball the last few years. So for him to kind of go to a playoff team, I think that's going to re-energize him and, and I think he's gonna have a nice season for them off the bench, um, and I, you know I'm just I think with with him you know coming in, uh, I think Embiid and Simmons will both be better. I think overall, just the team will will be a little bit better from from having playoff experience. And then I do think Fultz, like you know, if he becomes a decent rotation player, that that's just another wrinkle that they didn't have last season. So I could see that kind of propelling them into like the 53 to 55 one range. But you know, to to your point too, like there's a lot of risk if, if Embiid misses 30 to 40 games, that that's going to really screw them. If, if, you know, people start defending Ben Simmons the way they defended him in the playoffs, uh, on a nightly basis, that can kind of hamper their offense. So I do think there's a lot of risk w- w- with the team. And, and, uh, like you said, the, their floor is, is probably lower than those top two or three teams in the in the East. But, uh, I also think that they have a really high ceiling and if this team puts it, to, you know, maybe Fultz comes out the gate and, and looks like the number one pick and, um, you know, we, we started the to get to see differently
1: for them to make the leap. Like he just has to be the playmaker in the half court and the final two minutes. Like that's what they're missing last year is like their half court offense, especially down the stretch was terrible. And the numbers bear that out. And uh, I just don't see how you win in the playoffs multiple rounds. If they don't solve that problem, it can't just be Joel and Embiid just do, getting triple team down low and trying to do things himself. And, um, Ben Simmons getting antsy and left open and all that kind of stuff. Like they just have to have Bolt, and if it's not Bolt, and they made a mistake by not moving him, and maybe there's no trade value, um, with bolts, and there's no team out there that could talk themselves into taking a flyer on him at this point. But um, a lot of their future just hinges on what he does, because like if they had Jason Tatum, I I would be much higher yeah. on the Sixers trajectory for the next three years. Um, but we'll we'll have to see. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um the Miami heat who just have quietly had a really bad off season. Like they didn't really get involved in any of the major free agents. Like they're kind of capped out in a really unfortunate situation because I mean, they resigned uh, a lot of their pieces like that kind of overachieved because Eric palestra is a really good cult coach and uh Goran Dragic really good player, but um, they're just a bottom of the Eastern conference kind of team, like a uh, playoff team rather and that's fine if that's what you want to be while you're trying to figure things out and trying to get the next guy, but they haven't even really been in the ballpark of getting anybody, it seems like, and there's obviously the weird stuff with Hassan Whiteside, and guess what? Apparently, Hassan Whiteside, Tyler Johnson, and Deion Waiters are all available right now, and no one's biting because they locked up a bunch of rotation guys, maybe bench guys, to long-term contracts on a very average team, so... Things are quietly not great in Miami. I feel like,
0: yeah, Miami. I think um, I think Miami has really lived off of the the Shaq and LeBron James acquisitions for like the past fifteen years. Um, and and look, rightfully so. Like both acquisitions brought championships to, to the the franchise, and um, you know, it like you you have they have to be applauded for that. But I feel like they they've. they've Almost been given maybe a little bit too much credit. Like, you know, there's been some like Spurs East uh, type, you know, vibes or or type of um, like kind of credit to to the organization for an office. I'm just like, you know, you can also make the case like they just offered the best package for Shaq, even though in retrospect it wasn't even that good of a package. And, uh, you know, they were the one team that could kind of fit LeBron and Chris Bosch in easily. And if it was Toronto or if it was Cleveland, like maybe that big three ends up in, in one of those two cities. So uh, I, I just think like Miami has has been given a lot of credit that, you know, now this is why heat fans are going to rip me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if there's any listening to this right now. Like I I, I just think they've been given they a little, uh, I feel like they're frustrated too. Cause I'm just like, look, if you look at it, they, they consistently strike out in free agency despite Pat Riley being this like master, um, present, you know, just master showman and, and master negotiator and, and kind of personality. Uh, but they, you know, they couldn't even get Gordon Hayward, uh, which I guess, you know, going to Boston is probably the right move. But that, that was pre-Kyrie though. So you know, we weren't looking at Boston in the same lens as, as we are now. Um, and I, I just think like, uh, I don't know what they're doing. Like again, as I said, I think there's six blocks in the East. So to me, like, they're kind of the de facto seven seed behind the top six, but um, that's not really like a compliment. It's more of just like the bottom five or six teams in the East are so bad that, uh, you know, Miami just is kind of going to get in as long as they have like reasonable health. Um, but yeah, they're like the, the, the Hassan Whiteside situation has been so weird for the past couple of years. It's been, you know, very mismanaged. Uh, they've signed some really bad contracts uh, and you know, they've, you kind of give them credit for like being loyal to guys and, and kind of paying their own guys once they perform well. But uh, I really, you know, don't know what the hell they're doing with, with some of these, these, contracts. And it's like, um, I, if I, if I'm a prospective free agent, I don't really see what you're selling me on. Like, even, even if you had a guy like Gordon Hayward on, on this team or um, heck even like throw Kawhi, like even throw Kawhi on this team, I, I don't really see how they're better than like the fourth or fifth best team in the East. Uh, I just don't really think they have the infrastructure right now to, to, you know, put around a star. So I think this is a situation where they're, they're going to have to fully blow it up at some point. They just have never really done that, uh, in the Pat Riley era and kind of stubborn about it. Um, but you know, them trying to kind of stay in that middle ground and kind of rebuild that way has not really worked in my opinion. Uh, just because I think they, they, you know, they're kind of stuck in that middle ground for the foreseeable future. And I don't really see a way what they're going to get out of it. So um, if I found the heat, I, I think it's kind of a, uh, you know, a fire sale where everyone should be on the board. And, um, you know, I think everyone should be movable, including, um, you know, like Justice Winslow or Bam out of Bayou. Like I, everyone should be, no one's untouchable on this roster. Uh, and I think it's it's just I like...
1: Think Bam's their best asset right now, right?
0: He probably is, crazy? which is like, you know, I, I like him. He's a nice player, but like...
1: I like Bam he, a lot.
0: He, I mean... I don't really see him being, I I don't know, like, I don't know what his ceiling is. Is his feeling like the 15th best center? I think he's one of the five
1: guys on a championship team. Like, I think he's someone who's going to play in this league for a long time. He can shoot really long, good defender. It looks like he's just a nice anchor who does all the things you want. Like, kind of like Jaron Jackson in Memphis, where it's like, we're going to look back and uh, it's not like the flashy pick, but he's just someone who's just going to wreck havoc for years and years at the five and just be fine. Like he'll he'll just be a switchy big who can do everything you want at that uh, position. Just a really smart player. I like Bam a lot, but um, he's not a franchise-changing guy. He's just someone who can be um, one of your five. And he's not a big who can't play in crunch time and meaningful playoff minutes. He'll he'll be able to play.
0: Yeah, no, but again, like he's not a. I personally would not. I wouldn't say he's like a franchise cornerstone, or he's not. Like, even if he's on a championship. I would still take
1: LeBron James over Bam Adebayo. (laughs) I I would take uh, Kawhi over him. I would still take (laughs) Steph Curry, I think. I mean, it's close, but
0: um, But uh, he's not there yet. But most teams, like, I I would say if you you took every team's best asset, even if you were, you know, let's just take picks out of it because, you know, just to make things simpler. If you took every team's single best, you know, asset on their roster, so, like, lakers it's lebron james you know warriors it's i guess kevin durant uh and on and on down the list like i think bam out of bayou ranks somewhere in the bottom like five to ten like most teams have a better asset than that so to me um i I just think like i i don't really like miami strategy is not working i i think it's actually very similar to the, the to me like the dallas like their post lebron era has been similar to like the dallas mavericks post championship um where they are just kind of in that weird zone they keep you know they're they're always kind of in in the rumor and in talks with free agents but they never get them they always strike out it's kind of weird because they are a big market and sometimes these guys go to like smaller markets and you're like what's wrong with miami or what's wrong with dallas but um it's just like i I think they they and look what happened dallas you know they finally did kind of bottom out um and, and they got Dennis Jr. and then Luca. Uh, so I think if, if you're Miami, like you, you have to get your version of that because right now it's just not going to cut it being in this like, you know, 15, 16 range, you know, around the league. Like it, it just to me doesn't really make sense. And uh, I think they, they really need to rebuild.
1: It's just gonna be hard because a lot of those contracts are gonna be difficult to move. Like, who wants Dion Waiters um, with his injury history? Like, that's the biggest issue. Like, they they're kind of like in this weird situation where they develop some guys too well, and they have to pay them and keep them, and they don't want to lose them for nothing. Like Whiteside and Waiters just really flourished with them a couple of years ago, and they resigned him and Tyler Johnson. They uh, created seemingly out of thin air, and now. He's kind of a bad contract but like if you put all those guys in other teams like they've built them into a the kind of NBA player that can be super helpful on every other team like James Johnson like you go up and down the list they don't really have any like bad players but they don't have any guys that just push them in towards the top five six teams in the east so it's like what do you do how long do you want to stay in this bubble um at the eight or nine seven range and you can't because like it's just those contracts are not great. And like they reset Kelly. I mean, they signed Kelly Olenek from Boston. He's really good for them. Like there's some really fun stuff with him and James Johnson and Goran Drogic and everything else. Like they do a lot of cool stuff, but it's not going to win anything. Like it's fine. They're going to be a pain in the ass every game. But like outside of that, I just, I, I, I don't know what they do. I really don't, but I do think it's interesting that all those guys are available because I wonder if we're, uh, we need to start preparing ourselves for a Miami Heat, like, gigantic sell off, and they start moving a bunch of guys, like Whiteside and Drogic and uh, Winslow and everybody else. I wonder if that's what happens, like, especially if they get off to a bad start and they get hit with the injury bug and all that kind of stuff, because injuries happen. And I wonder how that all works. But the fact that they might bring back Whiteside anyway, based on how that whole season ended with him and Spo and everybody else, like, you would think, but maybe it's like we really. We literally can't find a taker for him because it looked like the Lakers were the best option for him, and they're not going to use their cap space on him, and they're starting JaVale instead. So, well, that uh, no, never I really know where Asana... Yeah,
0: maybe they trade for. I Dion. don't know where Whiteside
1: goes. Oh God, I just I don't. We're make like is there another team that makes sense for Whiteside right now? I just I don't know who that is.
0: Uh, uh let's see off the top of my head, no. Uh, I I, I Can you play the three for Detroit? <laughs> oh, the, the 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 Clippers would be interesting if if they're willing to take that gallo. Um, yeah, because you know then I mean I, then Gortat really gets upset, but then you probably just start uh, Whiteside, and then you know Trez is kind of the backup five, and I don't know what Gortat does at that point, but he he's also on the one year deal, so. Um, I mean that that was kind of the first thing. I'm trying. I'm trying to think like center wise. Um,
1: there aren't many options. There
0: aren't many, and especially for a guy like Whiteside, who I, I think like at this point, you probably have to be cautious with with him. Like not only are there fit like, potential fit issues with just the way the game is moving. Um, I mean, I think he clearly has some type of you know attitude issues that that. Um, you know, have kind of shown through in Miami that I think, um, you know, you, you kind of got to be careful with, with having, you know, to just bringing someone like that in your locker room that could disrupt things. So naturally he makes sense for the Wizards. Um, I fully explain. Oh God. <laughs> and, let's and then, throw
1: him in the mix. Yeah. Let's keep, let's keep adding personalities into this locker room. Let's go.
0: And then, and then Dwight Howard will uh, have played for, you know, let's say they train for Dwight and then Dwight will have played for every team in the uh, Southeast division. <laughs> There you go. Uh, I guess the, the, the Knicks always make sense uh, just because.
1: Oh, no. I hope that. No, they need to play like when Chris Tapps comes back. <laughs> like It needs to be Chris Tapps and Kevin Knox at the 4-5 and five for 36 minutes. No white side. Don't do that to Knicks fans. I'm sorry.
0: No you know, Knicks fans would, would talk themselves into it and then be.
1: I could see the Bulls doing something dumb like
0: this. Yeah, the Bulls. I mean, yeah.
1: They're like, well, Wendell's not ready, so we need to get a veteran in there to, like, ease the burden of uh, playing the five in the NBA. Like, we have Lopez, but he's not long, so let's just get another stopgap five. Like, um, the Hawks have all the money, so they could absorb Whiteside's contract. if they Like, if the Heat sent over, like, Winslow, I, I could see them considering something like that. I-, I don't know. There's not many options, and I think that's what they're finding here is that, like, i sure we'd like to move on from Whiteside, but uh, can you present us a trade that makes sense for us that uh, another team would take because uh, it's not great. And um, it's just, it's dark times in Miami, I think. And, uh, but I think it'll be fun because I think they're, I, I want more teams to like shake things up. And I think they're in the snow globe zone where they Pat Riley is. Uh, he's holding the snow globe. He hasn't shaken it yet, but he is thinking about it very, very hard.
0: Uh, Tina just popped into my head and uh, I'm really going to depress their fans right now but uh, the the Charlotte Hornets I could actually see um, potentially oh, doing God. something and I don't know if that... Is that Mitch involved-
1: Kupchak's like Timothy Mozgov in Charlotte? Would that be the same thing?
0: Yeah, well um, yeah, so I mean, maybe he moves you know, maybe the, the Heat take back Mozgov because uh, he only has one more year after this next one but Would you know, be, they like
1: three <laughs> trades this summer for him?
0: <laughs> yeah they they get back something you know I don't know they they the the Hornets like because the Hornets the Hornets are you know they're the other team in that mix with like the Pistons and the Heat of like the the bottom like seven eight seed team I, I think that the Hornets are, are constantly just give Cody in,
1: in Zeller thirty six minutes I love him he's good him and Kimball Walker have a great chemistry situation going on just let him play. but they, they love playing know, him at, they, they love playing like him at Zeller. the four. I oh my god they brought in by like because michael jordan just can't quit bismack by umbo like oh my god
0: it's uh yeah like, i
1: hate it so much but i could see that too charlotte actually might be the right answer to
0: this all right we'll we'll, we'll see I'll, I'll be holding my breath until Hassan white gets moved
1: <laughs> okay yo Bua, this was a pleasure as always sir i appreciate you taking the time
0: yeah, man. Thanks for having me on, as always, and uh, I'm sure we'll be doing this soon. Maybe some uh, playoff picture stuff or preseason over-under or whatever, uh, something like that. Yeah.
1: Um, it We're recording this on a Monday, so what do you have coming down the pike on The Athletic LA this week? Uh,
0: still figuring out what I'm going to write for this week. Probably something for Thursday or Friday, but I'm working on multiple longer term things i have like a feature on tobias harris that will be coming out probably next month and then uh, a couple other things i'm working on so right now it's kind of a weird time in the, in the off season for, for content but trying to have stuff for like later in the month and then kind of preseason uh stuff around the clippers and uh some non-clipper stuff too so uh we shall see
1: all right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Keep killing it at the athletic. And if you have not already subscribed to the athletic, what are you doing? Do it right now. And, uh, we will talk again very soon, my friend. All right, man. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple podcast or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show, a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Writer. Uh, Thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.